How you doing? I'm good. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, can you come a little bit closer? A little bit closer. Yeah, that's good. Let me turn your volume up a little bit and you can hear real good. Cool, man. Hey, um, you are one of the guys to come in who actually has their own podcast. Right. I met another dude with it, so this is going to be easy peasy for you. This is what I'm guessing. Um, anyway, I have Kevin with me today. Uh, Kevin's a dear buddy of mine who, uh, well, we met in, a, in an event called Kingdom Invasion which was a Christian event, which was held at the expo. Um, that was fun times. And um, I got introduced to him because um, someone was like, hey, you know, you got to meet this really, really high level, super dope B-boy. And then I was like, oh my goodness. And then uh, I met him and then I met Ken. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I met Kevin and um, we had lots to lots to talk about. We had lots in common. Um, and ever since then, he's been a good buddy, but also someone who I... Um, would say I learn a lot from. So every time I get to hang out with you, I learn something new. I go home, I share it with Lilan, and she's like, okay, you you are not wasting your time <laughs> doing just grappling outside and breaking, but but you're learning stuff. So anyway. What, whatever um, excuses help you uh, to hang out with me. <laughs> That's the one. And it's from you that I got the, the quote. You said that your wife believes that men sharpen other men, so men should be encouraged to hang out with one another. Amen. Yes. <laughs> So we can start with that, but um, yeah. So we actually have b-boying in common. So mm. maybe we can touch on that first. But uh, you started b-boying in Canada. Yes. Right in high school, or how did this whole thing start? Yeah, I started. Um, well, back in '79. No, um, <laughs> I think it was mid '90s. Okay. Um, you're only a little bit older than me. I'm 87. You're like 83. 82. 82. All yeah. Right, there you go. So yeah, when I started. Um, I mean, these days, everybody's got, like, YouTube. That's right. And uh, the way that we used to learn was uh, by surfing the uh, <laughs> World Wide Web. That's right. That is right, bro. And there were articles, and mm -hmm. uh, if we were lucky... Style to Oaf, if yes. you know that site. Or like, Actually, that came along later. It's bboy.org b -boy or something? Ah, uh, gosh, I can't remember. Uh, well, bboy World came a lot later right right there was like all this uh content on it they would record the videos yeah b-boy b-boy world had like videos longer than two two three seconds right like the yeah, style yeah, to yeah. Oath ones yeah, yeah. like when, but when style to Oof came that was like a game changer but it before was. that like you were lucky if you got a gif mm -hmm, of like mm -hmm. this dude like <laughs> spinning around yep 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 um yeah man good times so it, it was through watching that or you no actually so i um uh, out of nowhere, mm -hmm. uh, I saw some of my friends like just uh, mopping the floor with their uh, with their backs, and mm -hmm. I was like, "What's going on?" Right. And they apparently had seen actual like cool b boys from our high school hmm. like throw down at like a dance, like seniors or um, yeah, a little bit older. But like, I, I started the same way, so I I get what you mean. But go on, yes, yeah, please. like so so they basically went to another city, and then there was this like big kind of charity kind of party dance thing okay and then the guys who were actually legit who knew what they were doing were throwing down and wow. my friends saw that yeah mine's completely blown wow came back and thought okay let's try that so i saw them <laughs> it's like three different layers right of uh of experiencing that and uh for awesome. whatever reason i felt like that's something that i've got to do <laughs> right <laughs> that that floor in my school does need cleaning and i am gonna be that guy you know what what, what was the song that they were dancing to like when i first saw b-boying they were dancing to like i still remember this as well it was wild wild west will smith and it was fat boy slim yes yeah those are the two songs back in when i first saw breaking it was like that um man what was that Ooh, it's like that 
Randy oh, MC. Oh, it's like oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh no, so that was yeah, that's a cool video. That was that's, huge. If I'm not wrong, it's it's like that. It's just the way it is. Yeah. That that's the first one that a guy does, and Airflare Kujo does this kind of flips himself sideways that people always debate is that an is that an air track or an air flare or whatever but it's that video right with the with the adidas shoes you know do that that stomping thing that's that's the video and i remember like yeah you see tracks you see belly mills Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah and i literally videotaped it and re-watched vhs yeah vhs that segment probably about 500 times in order to learn like an air baby that, and that's that's before the then Boom Funk MC Freestyler came out. Oh, yeah, where they had windmills as well, right? right? And I was like, oh. Yeah, man. That, what what was the first move that you saw that you're like, I want to do that? Um, well, the first move that I wanted to do or the first move that I wanted to do that I thought I could do? Yeah, or maybe both. Um, wanted to do windmill. Uh, as in... Windmill is the one that you're like, what? I, I have to break because I, I, of have that. To, I have to learn that. Funny you say that. Same. It was um, a windmill for me as well. Wanted to do and thought I could legitimately do was Air Baby. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I remember when I first saw, um, I saw an older kid in my high school do, um, now I was in middle school and he was in high school and they used to like, um, after school they would like stack mats and that was like one of the cool things and then they were doing windmills and like back then, man, like, the windmill of those days get props that people who do one one arm air flares today don't get. Like it's like windmill was such a big deal, and like the thing that caught my attention was like at school formals or socials or whatever you call them, right? And then everyone's dancing, doing their own thing, being awkward around other people. Don't know if you you ask people out or you know. And while everyone's all confused and 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 getting to learn what life is then these three guys come and then they like push everybody out of the way and then they create the circle then like i'm like oh my goodness i have to be one of those guys like the scariest thing ever Mm. was going to a semi-formal like Uh okay well that's what we called it back then you were it was sort of like well yeah semi-formal right so yeah and you're supposed to be dressed in Uh well pretty like um good attire you're like, gonna say that you can't wear milling in the in a no, suit. no 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 so but okay. but the scariest thing was um showing up and then there would be like one or two dudes wearing wearing runners oh and and that was a sure sign either they were just like posers <laughs> right right or if they were filipino and oh, oh wearing sneakers like yes. Like I was totally It's a rap, bro. Not enjoying being there because I was just <laughs> racing through my head. Right. Okay, when this goes down, what am I gonna do to like survive? Yes. <laughs> being roasted <laughs> in, front in front of, of my all your friends as well. Yes. <laughs> and and because you said Filipino, I bet you they'll start their routine with a back tuck because all Filipinos for some reason just have inbred like they have talent in I didn't say sorry I didn't mean to say inbred have <laughs> have have a lot of talent whether it be um you know singing ability or dance ability they have that just bred in them it's like in their culture I think that's that's very cool but anyway one of the other things I wanted to talk about was you you grew up in Canada and um I don't know what the the Asian you know ratio or like what the percentage of Asian people are or were back then when you were growing up like let's say high school yeah, well, so like, like 10, 20 percent Asian. Yeah, it depends where you live, right? right. So, if you, um, I'm making it up, but if you go to like uh, UBC, 
which is University of British Columbia. Okay. It's also named as University of Billion Chinese. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, like and, and that's like on the far west coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up in Toronto and you would have different like pockets. You would have like Chinatown. Right. You would have, uh, you know, the, the spot where like the Sri Lankans would be. Okay. Uh, okay. Greek town and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it kind of depended where you were at. Right. Um, but where I grew up most of my adolescence, I would say it was, yeah, at least half Asian, but then I actually, half commu- Asian. yeah, okay. but half, cause that's just where oh, Richmond right. Hill was where a lot of Asians like went and Rich, lived. Richmond Hill. Right. Right. Um, okay. somehow, but, yeah. uh, but I commuted to a high school Okay. that was downtown. Is it cause you didn't make it to the ones close to you? No, because I oh. wasn't like. I probably would have gotten shot and killed if I went to like one of those. Oh yeah. Yeah, nearby. It was huh, just like there okay. was a place called St. Rob's that most of my buddies went to, and the first day that I showed up uh-huh. for like orientation, yeah, like half the school was outside smoking. Um, so I did <laughs> not go. <laughs> I, to that I get school. it. You grew up in the hood. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay. Um, but I did go to school um, downtown Toronto, okay. and that was like, um, yeah, fifteen percent. 10% Asian, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. like majority. Um, right. Yeah, obviously Caucasian, Italian, Irish. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it kind of depended um, mm-hmm. where where you are, where you live, where you go to school. Right. Now, it's funny. I, I ask you that because we've got quite a few um, things in common. Like, uh, you, you're also half Chinese, half Japanese. Yes. Right? Yes. And you're married, and your wife is Indonesian <laughs> Chinese, which is exactly the same as me. Actually, always, I didn't even put that together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. But, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it's it's weird, man. we got so many, so many things in common. Um, but I must say, for a Chinese, uh, Japanese person, I've got bigger eyes than you. I, I always think that I've got the smallest eyes in the world, but uh, in the world. But then I see you, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> there is another man who can see less than I. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. One, one thing that I saw recently, I don't know if it was like a YouTube video or something, but I was talking about like um, Asian kids growing up around like white kids as well, like oh, kids of other races, and we used to open our lunch boxes, right? And then people next to us would be like, oh my goodness, what's that smell? You know, and I had like onigiri, like from my mom would get like last night's food, roll it up, put it into onigiri, and that's like that's 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 my lunch right there. Was yours the same? And one? onigiri is like the least smelling thing. Yeah, on because the, the the smell is uh, it's <laughs> what's the word? There's a capsule for the smell. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um. So like I, when my parents realized that I like wasn't really into sandwiches, <laughs> um. <laughs> Like, I would always just bring back, like, at least half of it. Oh, no. Um, until I realized every time I brought back half of it, they would basically stone me. Um, <laughs> so, I was okay, I would just chuck it before I would, you know. It's uh, so sad, arrive though, at home. Right? Really, really sad. So, yeah. once they picked up him on that, they figured, oh, why don't we send him with this big black, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say thermos, but you know what I mean. It's got, like four components ah okay i I know the ones right yep yep um like it almost looks like you could have like a nuclear reactor in that because of (laughs) all the 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 mechanics going on inside Uh you'd have your soup layer you'd have your your um your rice Mm -hmm. uh you'd have you know the rest of your um vegetables or meats and you couldn't mix it right because Uh it had to be good but yeah that was massive and so my buddies called it the bomb okay um and you'd have to like bring it over to the microwave, and it was like this whole ceremony, like getting it prepared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm just thinking like, I just want like Nutella. 
Yeah. Like, I just want whatever the my other buddy kids, has. Right, yeah. Yeah. And just simple chips, like little bags of chips. I remember those were the ones I was like, oh, exactly. man, I wish I had that. Or like, or like snackables. And mini juice packs, yes. Yeah, and I'm here my thinking, like, why don't my parents love me? Like, you know. <laughs> Bro, same. Same. They're like, I'm, I'm sure, I'm so sure they planned this a day before to humiliate me in front of these. <laughs> but, the, but, you know, that's the thing, though, because that's when... I don't know if you felt the same way, but there was a little bit of like embarrassment of my culture. You know what I mean, right? Absolutely. And it's like, um, but actually, now that when when you mentioned that that contraption or that that device, the bomb disposal device, um, that is kind of like Japanese bento. Japanese bento is made with stacks with a really long handle, right? That's exactly All right. Times. Yeah. That's right. But um, yeah. So anyway, but one thing that I I realize is is quite common amongst um Asian guys that grow up uh, in white neighborhoods or or even in in communities in Western communities. Um, we all seem to dance, and dance just seems to be like our breakthrough thing. Like I I don't know what it is, man. It's just like it just I don't know, maybe it just captivates us. It suits our bodies better, maybe. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that was just me. No, bro. All around the world. It's it's like I I know so many Asian guys who became breakers in school. Now, if you look at like just go to the US, like look at the US hip hop scene. Well, I loosely say hip hop dance scene or like b-boy scene. There's so many Asian people. Filipinos. Yeah, Japanese. True. The Koreans are really good at it as well. Yeah. So like now that you bring it up, actually, like it's um, it really fits in because uh, you remember how I mentioned I went to a high school. Mm hmm where majority was Caucasian. They were all like Italian, Irish, and uh, we were a sports school, right? So we actually were a feeder school really? to a certain extent to like the National Hockey League, the NHL. Oh, well. Okay. And Canada. like we literally had like guys that were like 6'5 mm -hmm. walking around the hallways. Um, and I kid you not, when I, when I got there in grade nine, mm -hmm. So that's what, I don't know, 13, 14 years old. Ish, yeah, grade nine. Um, I was hands down clearly the smallest kid in the entire school of, you know, a <laughs> couple of thousand or whatever. Uh, even wow. into grade 10, I think I was the smallest school, uh, the, the smallest kid. kid. Really? And so... By the way, for those listening, like Kevin is what? You're one... I one eight one, something? Yeah, close to 180, I guess. Yeah. yeah so I kind of like gosh. shot up a couple of years later. School. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> And so, to your point, mm -hmm. like, the first time that we had a school dance where we had actually practiced for a few months and had, I don't know whether you call it courage or stupidity, uh, to actually lay down a linoleum mat. Uh -huh. And I remember, like, because everybody knows, when you put down the mat, like, something's going to happen. <laughs> And my buddies were way better than I was at the time. At breaking? At breaking, okay, yes. Okay. Um, and you just said, Matt, I thought it was a picnic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so they, they jump in, mm -hmm. you know, so my Korean buddy goes in mm -hmm. and, you know, he's naturally good looking. So, you know, everybody just loses their minds. <laughs> right. um, my Filipino buddy goes in right. and uh, he's just like naturally like talented. Uh-huh. And my heart is like beating out of my chest, like right. where I'm basically saying like, do or die, am I going to go mm -hmm. or am I not? And the only way to kind of make up my decision was I threw myself into the center uh -huh. before I could think. 
and like I had no choice. Mm-hmm. And so I remember after throwing down and everybody just like going crazy, absolutely losing their minds. And uh-huh. I did nothing. Like I did, <laughs> I did a terrible six step at best and right. maybe a bad semi-decent chair freeze. Uh-huh. And they lose their minds. And after that, and the next day, I remember in like biology class, I had these like white dudes coming up to me mm-hmm. and they were like, bro, that was so sick, man. You got a team sheet, what you can do. And, and I was like, wow, this is like a superpower. It is. Amidst all these giant six, five guys, there was something that I could do that they couldn't do. And that was, it was strangely like super empowering. It's bro. Exactly the same. It's just that mine was rugby. Right. Yeah, I grew up amongst like Maori and Samoan dudes. Like, come on, man. Like, oh, those guys are giant. Bah, bro. <laughs> I mean, people talk about Vikings being huge. Like, in New Zealand, you go to high school and you see someone like almost two meters walk by. You're like, this dude's massive. And you find out she's just in like the female touch rugby team. <laughs> You're like, gosh, how big are these dudes? Yeah, it's just, it's shocking, man. But My Samoan pastor, uh, he has the record biggest birth child in Singapore. Uh, this was like five. I'm not even kidding. It was like some ridiculous six kilos or something. Yeah, they have the record. Really? Yeah, biggest biggest child. Well, they're they're just big, man. Yeah, and it's big. it's yeah, it's crazy. Actually, talk. I I do share about it a lot, but I think um, one thing that's really cool about New Zealand is because New Zealand has like um, Pacific Islanders and also like um, have like white people and also have like a mix of Asian like Maori people. So if you look at the the all black team, right, um, it's interesting because the rugby team's made out of forwards and backs, right. So forwards are the the bigger chunkier dudes, and the the backs are like these fast sprinters. And it's so interesting because you have people of different culture, right, and different different heritage. So all their strengths are all different. So that makes the all blacks really strong. Like I mean, that's my theory about the all blacks. But um, anyway, that's a story for another time. Um, but before we go into what I think was uh, what I think is very cool and uh, something that you do for a living that I absolutely love. Um, before we go into that, I want to not skip this very important stage because both of us being Japanese, uh, I've always wanted to do a stint working in Japan. Um, I I did go there for work, but I didn't get to do as cool a thing as you did because you were in Japan selling one of the most amazing things out there and most useful things. So if you could share, that'd be cool. Yeah, so um, I had a very, very important task um, that I was sent to Japan to do. Right. And I Your was... calling. My calling um, was uh, to, to make menstruation <laughs> a joy uh, for, for women around the world, uh, especially in Japan. Um, so I was, I started my career in marketing for a brand called Whisper. Okay. Um, which is called Always uh, in, in uh, North America. Oh, the same product is called Always. Yeah, it's, it's the same, same product, right? right so they right. just call it Always uh, in the West and they call it Whisper in the East. It's, it's right. almost very sort of stereotypical. Why, like, why though? I, I, I couldn't even tell you. Like, I guess mm. I would imagine mm. that it's like, oh, like you have to whisper and you can't, you can't really, oh. you know, talk about it in, in, in the open. It's not empowering. Is exactly. It? exactly. Okay. Right. Um, oh, no, I get it. Whereas, you know, in the West, it's like always and I will always uh. conquer or wh- whatever it is. But, right. um, <clears throat> but that, that was just a vehicle to get me. And so I was very, like, I, I had two goals. Um, in mind when I was in uh, university. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was to ideally, uh, I mean, amongst the many other goals that I had, but the, the two, <laughs> okay. two sort okay. of, of vocational future goals, so to speak. So one was to work 
um, at a marketing company. All right. Uh, and the second was to work in Japan. Okay. And I, um, God was really amazing. I, I actually didn't know much about God at that time, and he he gave me both. Right. Um, he has a sense of humor. He does. So. He does have a sense of humor. He's like, I'm gonna give him everything that he wants, and then huh? he will be crushed. <laughs> okay. Huh. Well, God doesn't do that, but that's actually what did happen to me. But, right. um, so the idea of living in Japan and working in Japan is like everybody's like, oh, it's beautiful. I love it. The people are so nice. They're so polite. The food is amazing, and all of that is true. Mm-hmm. But. Living in Japan, or sorry, traveling to Japan, right. and living in Japan or working in Japan are two very, very different things. Hundred percent, get what you mean. Okay. And I think one of the stories that I like to tell my friends was that um, I, I think I worked until like midnight, mm-hmm. um, and I took the last train uh, home. So the last train is like you know twelve or five uh, a.m. Mm-hmm. And this is in Tokyo. This is in Kobe, oh, actually. Kobe, so okay. a few a few hours out. Right. And by that time, I hadn't had dinner yet because you either have dinner at the office, mm-hmm. like you have a bento box at your office at like eight p.m., mm-hmm. or you you hold out for it, hoping that you can have some sort of a decent meal when you're done after midnight. So mm-hmm. I decided I would have that after midnight. So after getting off the train, I stopped by uh, at a Moss Burger. Okay. Which at that time was uh, nice to have. You didn't have Moss Burger all over the world like you do now. This is right. back in like 2006. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, it was like super cold winter time. Right. Um, and winter actually in Japan gets reasonably cold. Like mm-hmm. um, it might not snow, but it, it could be like five degrees, seven degrees. So right. I brought my Moss Burger home with the intent to um, just have it comfortably in my warm, heated uh, apartment. So I so I got home, uh, closed up my room, uh, jacked up the heat because it was absolutely um, freezing. Mm-hmm. Um, only to wake up, um, fall asleep, wake oh. up at three in the morning um, with the lights on, the heater at about thirty degrees, uh-huh. and the entire room smelling like tomato moss burger, um, <sighs> and realizing like. What am I doing here? Right, right. And so that that was a pretty kind of pivotal moment <laughs> in my life of like, okay, this is my dream to be here. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, well, this is uh, not going as well as I thought. Right, 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 right. <clears throat> so that that was a turning point. Yeah, it was. You know, I. You know, well, how, how many years in were you though at that point? At that point, it was probably about a year in. But my okay. in total, I was you know working there for about a few years, and I was just. Three issues? Throwing, yeah, but three. Okay. Throwing everything into it. Like, you basically, mm-hmm. you lived to work. Right. Um, I'm, I'm imagining you're a fresh grad out of a Canadian university, and you're going straight to Japan. Um, did you speak the language already back then? I spoke enough to get me by for the first 15 seconds where they would think I was Japanese. Right. Only to then realize a minute later that the either... Either I was uh, not educated or didn't have a brain or was a foreigner. Right, 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 right. Okay. Hmm. That's really, really interesting. And you knew what the company did um, before. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, I knew what the company did. I sort of knew what the culture was. Okay. You know, I, I was given warnings um, that many people often go on sick leaves. Like sick leaves, meaning uh-huh. like you know, um, cannot take they it just, anymore. They just can't take it anymore. Right. Uh, they end up in the hospital. They, they cannot sleep, and they end up going on leave, right. quote unquote, for right. you know whether it's a few weeks or a couple of months, and either they refresh, recharge, and come back. Or they just call it quits. And so I was given warnings like, okay, don't let that happen to you. And I was like, oh, come on, please. Like, <laughs> I don't live to work. Yeah. Um, uh, but after, you know, having been there and, and, and working um, like crazy, right. um, it's not just the volume, but it's also the stress. And I realized I right. was uh, really getting to, to, to those extremes right. of um, really like, wow, this is not... Um, this is not good huh. uh, for, for my life. My priorities are not set straight, right, right. Um, which actually led to me um, just opening up to, to God and, huh. and, and Christ. Because, you know, when you're at your weakest moment, yeah. uh, you, you sort of, uh, you get really humbled. You get down on your knees and like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I need help. And you beg. And you beg. Right. Yes. Um, I just looked it up. Karoshi. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Japanese term for... Um, overworked death karoshi apparently this is still a real issue you know like i I hear about i mean no it's it's not a not not a saying that japanese culture is not good but you know this whole work culture yes i i do realize that it is an issue and and i i I believe korean companies are also kind of similar but it's the and they're so uh, like in in the way that they have so many of these like underlining like things that that aren't efficient so i'll give an example like um for example, um, when I hear about people working in Japan, they say that they have meetings at different times of the day. But usually, when you have a meeting, I don't know if you share this with me. You, you, no, and I think it's a. It was another company I was working with. So, in in a Western company or like maybe even in a Singaporean company, you'd meet up to kind of share ideas. So it's a time that you know you you hang out with uh, not hang out. You meet up with other people. You see what they're doing in their department, what you're doing, and you see how you can come up with new things. Whereas in Japan, you actually have meetings where you report what you've been doing. So you then catch up and report what you're doing. So there's a lot of this. I mean, I'm sure it's good for quality control, but you then end up doing a lot of I don't know if the word is repetitive or like just not that efficient stuff, you know? And um there's also this um, uh, Japanese, yeah, I think it's in Japanese work culture where if you need something approved, um, the person above you then gives their stamp and then they, they pass it to the guy above them. No, sorry. They send it to the guy all the way to the top. When he approves it, he gives his stamp. It then gets passed down and then the stamp, and then, you know, they get it stamped all the way down. So to get one thing done is, actually, it takes a long time just to get a simple thing done, a simple change done. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, right. it's, you touched upon it in terms of efficiency. Mm-hmm. And if I think about it, the difference is result versus process. Right. right? So I think like in non-Japanese uh, companies, uh, they could be Western companies, but it's more about um, so long as you get the result, it doesn't matter sort of how you get there. Whereas in Japan, process is, is so important, right? So I remember mm. writing like these one-page recommendation Process. letters right. of, um, okay, this is the circumstance, the context of the business, this is what we need to do. And I would literally put like hours and hours and hours into that one-page paper uh-huh. only to bring it to my boss and we wouldn't be able to get past the first line. Like we would be debating the first line of what I said, how I said it, 
um, for hours. And I was like, right. and he would just like toss it aside being like, okay, this is useless. Whereas um, mm-hmm. when I later um, was transferred to Singapore, mm-hmm. same company, different country, different cultural dynamics. And I would be able to go up to my boss or my other colleagues uh-huh. and say, hey, um, this is a thought that I have in my mind. What do you think? Mm. And so uh, this idea that you needed to be perfect at every single step in Japan mm-hmm. versus in, in other cultures, you, you don't have to be, uh, which right. makes it much more efficient. You can just more casually, you know, sort of discuss things without saying this is my 100%, you know, answer. Do, do you see a, do you see an advantage or do you want to take a break and pour yourself a drink? No, I'm good. Are you good? Okay. You can multitask. Um, do you see an advantage in the Japanese style of working though? Like, is there, is there something like for me, the only thing that I can think about is quality control. Um, when you want something done a specific way and you want it done, may, maybe you find a particular mold that works and you want to just replicate that for years to come. I would think that this process, yeah, maybe it work. It would work that way. But in what other ways do, I mean, the Japanese are, are, are intelligent people. So I would, and Japanese are innovative as well. So it kind of doesn't, doesn't really make sense in my head why the, the Japanese cult, the Japanese people, which then leads to Japanese culture, would then keep doing the thing if they know that it's broken or it's inefficient. Yeah, there's there's two things that come to mind. Um, like, I love thinking about why why are people the way they are, or why are cultures the way they are. And if you go back to uh, in history. Mm. Um, whereby, uh, let's say, boats from the West would would come by and visit Japan. Um, So Japan was not those people who would, like, invent gunpowder, right? For Mm -hmm. example, they Mm -hmm. were not the the, the leading in terms of particular technologies. That's one story that comes to mind. Another story that comes to mind is, like, for example, Toyota. Okay. Right? Everybody knows Toyota as something which is... um, having very good quality cars at scale um, and uh, very economical cars. Mm -hmm. And so while they might not have the tendency to be able to truly um, like create and innovate from nothing, if you know what I mean, like they might not bring step changes of innovation, but they probably can um, improve uh, significantly, mm. uh, something, um, whether it be like mm. uh, automotive or, or whatever it is. I and I know right. that's like a, a very overall generalization, but um, at least that's sort of my perspective or what I've experienced. Hmm. So when you're talking about the gunpowder, but well, basically these two examples that you're saying is that perhaps this culture. Um, this culture of working allows you maybe not to innovate but to improve things and this process helps you make things better it's almost like a polishing process yeah perhaps I, yeah i think so um it bro it's funny that you say that because i've i've always had a very different perspective about this i always think that the japanese um innovate the japanese create whereas the koreans are very good at improving so like i mean look at look at um k-pop right look at K- k-pop is j-pop done better right. and marketed better you know with yes. and uh, and they know how to blend into the, the the u.s market better you know if you look at k-dramas like come on every single storyline that you you will ever see from k-drama is a 
a spin-off of a concept that was already in Japanese dramas, you know. So it's interesting that you say that, but you know, um, we this this could open up a a, a whole other can of worms and could drag us on. But um, yeah, um, another reason why you should join me again. But yes. what I really wanted to get to was um, you know, when you do you you used to do marketing then, but since then you've evolved into this title, which I need to pull up my phone to say you are now a senior innovative marketing manager for Lego. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And I think that's really, really cool. I love Lego so much, perhaps even more than you, right? You were saying, I grew up playing so much Lego. And um, man, if if I could work with Lego, I think this would be totally awesome. But um, yeah, I, w- I would just like to hear a little bit about what you do for Lego and um, any interesting points that you'd like to share. I mean, we, c- we could even start off with the, um, the most um, unexpected one about Lego being a privately owned company till this day. Mm-hmm. Even though it's it's humongous, right? Um, also, oh, another point. Yeah, I wanted to grill you about this one or ask you about this one. Um, so, if I'm not wrong, right, the whole patent for Lego is is not the four nipple like objects that come out of a block, but rather that um, that circuit that tube. Um, I sound like I did a lot of research. I only, I just watched something on Netflix, and it's called The Toys That Made Us. So they talked about how the, the patent for Lego doesn't lie in the, or maybe let's call it the copyright of Lego, does not lie in the four nipple-like objects on top of the brick, but rather the um, cylinder-like um, tube on the block on top that adds equal pressure to the four nipples and allows the two blocks to stick together. And that's the part that Lego patented. So that's why if you see nowadays, right, you see lots of um, toys out there that have the nipple shape. I wish I could call it dimples. Let's just call them. No, they're not dim- nipples. Okay, so this nipple-like thing, right, you see a lot of brands, like um, especially brands from China back in the day, they would make a, a similar concept to Lego, but they didn't have that cylinder under. So you'd be able to put the two blocks together, but they didn't um, attach so firmly like Lego does, right? But anyway, I heard recently the Lego patent um, kind of ran out. And so now you see lots of, um, um, like, from Korea and China, lots of these variations of Lego come out. And um, for me, the thing that um, differentiates Lego and them, I don't know if Lego still holds to the same values, but um, back in the day, Lego didn't make, like, tanks and, like, um, fighter jets and stuff. They would make, like, you know, space police, and they would have, like, pirate ships with a bit of guns and stuff, but they tried to stay away from from weapons. That that was what, you know, I, I originally knew about it, but um, I shall stop rambling. Tell us more, bro. Yeah, um, it's interesting that you talk about the patents. Yes, you're right that um, the patents, I think, uh, no longer stands, and uh, other companies are definitely able to uh, use, um, you know, bricks and a system, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure if it actually was system that, but, you know, what, what we often refer to internally is the, the Lego system, right? <laughs> the, the, the system is, you know, yes. how you can connect uh-huh. uh, different bricks together to form something which is greater. And it's actually, um, I don't think we reference them as nipples. <laughs> internally what's the the actual word i'd love to know it it slips my mind now but i think it's studs oh bro i think it's a much better word than nipples (laughs) i can imagine someone giving a presentation like and the nipples yeah i'm sure studs is the word speaking of me ending up on headlines that i don't want to be on um okay but i think um yeah it's the studs and how they they interlock Mm -hmm. uh with each other to sort of form something bigger um but but to your point, 
the the advantage of having bricks come together to form something bigger is obviously not a competitive advantage anymore and you can see so many other brands that are doing that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and hence why i think lego has sort of um really had a phenomenal success uh because they really stumbled upon this formula mm -hmm. um but it's not to say that they would be able to enjoy it for many years to come because you can have all these other guys who are doing something very similar as to you. Mm -hmm. um, and hence what um, the unit that I work on mm -hmm. work in is supposed to be responsible for. So we're called creative play lab. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'm not responsible for is the day to day operations, the day to day marketing, or even like what is the next Lego city set? look mm -hmm. like or what is the next um lego ninjago set look like mm -hmm. so what creative play lab is supposed to do is either we come up with radically new sort of experiences that could be sort of physical digital experiences from a play perspective um and number two we look into like new business models right for the company so it's like right now we are considered a toy company mm -hmm. but what if Mm -hmm. uh, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, we were reconsidered as a company X or Y. Right. And how might we monetize the company in a very different way? How might we pivot into new sort of verticals and new sort of goods? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so hopefully with, uh, with what we are supposed to do uh, will enable us to kind of enjoy more of a advantage versus other guys because well it's going to be more than just bricks bricks connecting to to one another right yeah i, I wonder what the i mean I, I wouldn't know about what the actual vision of lego is because I, w I would think that yes all companies would want to adapt you know because not adapting is a sure way to die especially in a climate like today right so you'd want to always adapt but i wonder how far lego would would actually want to go away from the you know the whole idea of producing toys i do know that lego started off um doing was it wooden furniture or figurines or something like that right and then they they developed um it's and uh before we we, we go into that though like uh, one of one of the words the key words that you mentioned was play hmm. right and um i think that play is something that is lost a lot in the, you know these days i think the whole sense of play is is gone um from our society like and and I'm talking across the board, right? Why are people not not so creative these days? Because everything is given to them, <clears throat> right? If you're, excuse me, if you're if you're into, um, I don't know, you you want a particular picture of a pink giraffe spinning a ball on their fourth finger. If you Google that, you kind of find that, right? So because everything is spoon fed to you, right? People don't strive to create things anymore because almost everything that you look up that you're like, oh, I've got an idea. Someone's already done it, you know? And um, and I think the internet doesn't help, you know? And, you know, if, if we even go back to b-boying, like I talk about this a lot, like one of the biggest events or like the biggest event I always look forward to watching was Battle of the Year. The reason why I love Battle of the Year is because I go, oh, it's a Japanese crew. Whoa, they're going to bring in, wow, that's so cool, like Japanese culture. Then the French come in and the French have this kind of laid back kind of style to them. And then the Koreans come in and the Koreans are like doing power and like everyone would kind of bring in elements of their tradition into it. Whereas as you, as you get further on, like even in the, I think it was like 2008 during that time, everyone wore sponge caps and like dressed like freaking Power Rangers. They're like head to toe, they're like red or green or blue or yellow, you know, whatever it was. Um, but anyway, so the whole idea of play, right, I think is, is very lost. And um, I think Lego is 
one of the company that has managed to keep this element and has survived all through the years and have kept kids um, thinking, I think kids and adults as well, thinking and wanting to create and thinking, what more can I do with things that already exist, right? I, I think Lego does a, a great job there, you know. Um, is, is sense of play something that you guys speak about a lot? Yeah, it's a good point. Like, I, I want to touch on, upon the idea of play, and I want to, I mean, what you just mentioned about, in essence, originality mm -hmm. uh, is is close to my heart as well. And I, I think there's an interesting point that you raised with regards to the internet. Right. Like, um, you referenced a different aspect of b-boying, but, like, I think with the dawn of um, basically the internet and YouTube, mm -hmm. um, you no longer needed to wait for you know, this ridiculous b-boy to come down to your city uh -huh. and you would you could only see that b-boy at a jam. Right. And you could just be like, oh, whatever. I'm just going to go on YouTube and, and look at every single move that they have or even exactly how they practice. And uh -huh. I think once that happens, I don't exactly remember when it happened, but everybody started looking the same. Yeah. And it was very difficult to actually truly have original style. Yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, I think accessibility to information or accessibility to different things, I think there's definitely a pro. Mm -hmm. But I guess the con is because if you see everything under the sun, you tend to emulate. And maybe you have to work less hard. As yeah. you said, maybe it's not exactly spoon feeding, but... Um, if you're in a gutter yourself, you have to figure out your own way out without knowing any solutions. Mm -hmm. But if you can just Google, how does somebody else do this? How do I look up other pictures? How do I look up other moves? Mm -hmm. You just, your own thinking gets shaped much more by, by what's out there. Right. Um, so I think there's an interesting aspect to that. Um, I think when it comes to, to play, I do think that we have to do a better job. Mm -hmm. um, I think that... We as in society. We, actually, society and Lego. So maybe I'll touch upon Lego first and I can touch upon society. But I think from a Lego perspective, there, you have a per certain percentage of kids who they just, they can make anything with the given bricks that they've got in their box. Mm -hmm. And they'll go to town and they'll make a giraffe who has Adidas, you know, superstars and has, you know, lights going off in their heads. Mm -hmm. But you have a lot of other kids who they're like, I can only build what's on the box. What's on the instructions. Exactly, what's right, in the instructions. Right, right, And so I think even as a company, we're trying to figure out how do we foster um, mm. creativity. Like I, what I think about uh, very often is you have kids who are perhaps naturally creative. Mm -hmm. um, one could argue like all kids are creative. And yes, I believe that they all are. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps some kids have a innate confidence to be creative while others are feeling like maybe I'm not so much. And so I think we have to do a better job of helping and right. perhaps scaffolding that process. Mm, yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. But when it comes to play, you know, um, if, if, you, if you look at different like trends mm -hmm. um, in terms of like what's popular, what's big, right? So um, obviously like health is going to be very big, you know, coming up um, uh, in terms of our, you know, current generation, you know, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, Corona is something that, uh, that doesn't help that, you know, therefore, you know, health. Right. Um, and then you have mental well-being. I think like play mm. is going to be something really big right. um, in right. the future, 
because play as a mechanism to whether it's solving uh, mental well-being or whether play is a true hmm. intuitive way to um, build creativity right or play is a way where you can actually better collaborate with people or you can mm. just ha like have more fun mm -hmm. um i i do think that the economy of play is going to be uh massive yeah. um in the future i don't think it's there yet right mm -hmm. um but i sense that it's uh, it will be pretty big uh, in the coming years totally agree man it's it's interesting that you say that because you, you were talking about how like too much too much knowledge fed to you um can be can be destructive right um i wanted to mention um the tree as well and the fruit that shouldn't have been eaten correct right right correct. so i made that connection as well but um um as i was thinking about it i was like why okay so to make someone creative you cannot give them everything right if you give um if you give a, a kid all the colors and uh and any type of paper they want to paint on chances are they're not going to be as creative as you giving them only two colors and in a blank sheet of white paper they then have because they don't have colors they need to think outside the box right so something that i i talk about a lot is like you need to have rules you need to have boundaries because if you if you don't have rules and boundaries it's not a game for example if i'm going to play soccer but i'm allowed to bend the rules and use my hands and i'm also allowed to go from behind the goalposts and the whole the, the whole game is lost right so there needs to be boundaries but but the interesting part is like you know you, you talk about lego so you know if if i was to okay when i have when i have a child i wouldn't just buy them like 20 lego sets and just go do whatever you want i'll just buy them one and and wait for a while and see what else they create with that right but but looking from from the other perspective as well like you know when kids want and they see hey look the other brand has exactly what i want from a marketing standpoint that doesn't work because the kid's just gonna go hey dad i, I want that toy instead because that one can do what this one can't do you know um so many things to talk about, man. But um, <laughs> yeah, w one thing I, I did ask you last time, maybe you can uh, chat about it briefly as well, was the whole like how do you how do you measure um, innovation? Because obviously your department uh, is supposed to innovate, right? So I don't know if you you do it with like amount of ideas that come up with something. I, I hope I don't put you in in a tough spot, but you know like. Um, a, a worker, a service provider can just count number of hours or whatever it is. But when you're talking about innovation, right? I mean, how, how do you quantify that? You know, how do you quantify a good job done? Like how many of your projects come to fruition and actually work or? Yeah, um, I guess I can not necessarily answer exactly like what is the KPI of innovation, but I what I can do is provide a couple of... Um, lenses through which we we look at it mm -hmm. um i would say that at the heart of innovation is looking for what is a problem that's worth solving hmm. and getting to the core of like what is the problem that a consumer has what is the problem in their life that somebody has and for any given problem you can have a number of different solutions mm -hmm. that can solve that right. problem. So, for example, um, if, the, if the problem is I'm currently at point A, I need to get to destination B. Mm -hmm. That's your problem, right? I have a number of solutions in order to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can uh, take the subway, get to point B. Now I have, oh, Google Maps 
tells me that I can also uh, walk in this direction. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with um, you know the whole sharing economy um, and you know apps, mm-hmm. I can use Uber right. or I can use Grab rather mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in order to get to destination B. Right. So, but all of those are solving the same problem. Like it's a basic problem of I need to get from A to B. I get you. I get you. But um, the solution in order to get there is either um, becoming easier mm-hmm. or cheaper or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And so there are various solutions that solve sort of different pain points. So I would say like fundamentally that's what innovations should help to do. Right. Of you're solving a, a, a problem which is really worth solving mm-hmm. um, and offering a, a new way to fundamentally solve that problem. Um, right. Okay. Okay. So I think that's sort of one perspective that I can give. Uh, mm-hmm. The other one, it's not a full answer to to that question, but it's more of like how do we assess um, a true innovation, or how do we assess? You could also argue these principles would potentially be similar to like a startup, right? Mm-hmm. So whatever we do um, has to hit three things. Okay. So it's got to be desirable. Um, it's got to be feasible. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be viable, right? So desirable. So desirability feasible. is is the uh, the amount at which it is actually desired the by want. a consumer. Okay. Like you know, uh, does it bring joy? Does it actually solve problems? Does it actually right. make lives better? Mm-hmm. Um, is it feasibly possible? Right? Like is it doable? I would. Sure. Yeah, I would want to get from eight point A to if point B was in Venus, I probably feasibly can't do that because we right. don't have the technology, whereas we do, you know, you know, to the moon perhaps. Right. Um and then the last one is viability, right? Mm-hmm. So ultimately it's gotta be something which is um making uh a sustainable business so that you continue to you can continue to run that as a business and as a company. Mm-hmm. Um so those are the lenses through which we we have to tackle. Right. Um, at, at various points in times for uh, for either projects or one could argue those similar principles for perhaps a, a, a new company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really interesting, man. <laughs> That's very, very cool. Just because I do marketing with my wife as well, you know, when I think right. about it, I'm like, oh, gosh, yeah, these are really, really good points. Um, <laughs> do you, Are you looking at doing marketing for a very, very long time? Um, I would say, um, you know, you know that the T model... The, no. So, so the T model is like depth and breadth. Okay. So I would say in terms of the depth, like at the heart of it, mm-hmm. I probably can't change the fact that from marketing about like menstruation to marketing about shampoo to marketing Lego to mm-hmm. marketing about solving problems through Lego. Right. Um, whether I like it or not, like I'm fundamentally uh, kind of a marketing. Thing. Yeah, right. that's that's sort of who I am, and and I do love actually the psychology of like humans, uh, right. why they do what they do, you know, what causes their behavior, mm-hmm. um, what influences their behavior, and so I would imagine like fundamentally marketing would sort of be my my anchor, right? Um, but wherever I can kind of branch out from that, um, I'm I guess I'm open. I I sort of. I'm I'm the sort of guy where uh, there's a saying like the next idea is the best idea. Like I'm just <laughs> I'm super excitable about it. Right. Um, whether it's um, something from a marketing perspective or mm-hmm. it's like BJJ. Like now BJJ is the best thing you know since sliced <laughs> bread. 
So thanks, thanks for making that link for me. I, I did want to touch on that as well, but that's another thing that we do. Um, so I'll, I'll hang out with Kevin on the weekends. Um, sometimes when I, I hold karate uh, classes on Saturdays, um, I do share a little bit of uh, about grappling and, and other elements as well because I think it's uh, it's very practical. And uh, Kevin kind of got hooked onto that. So uh, um, so for for some reason, which we won't say now. Um, you couldn't train with us, right? But um, I, I do manage to go over to your place and uh, grapple with you and just uh, share a few ideas. And um, what's got you hooked onto that, man? The the most memorable moment, actually, so far was the first uh, time that I went to the dojo. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you had taught us, like, some fundamentals. And I, I guess for context, for, for anybody who's listening to this, I have... Um, absolutely like zero experience like if you um if i was in an altercation like i you would see how fast i could run (laughs) um and so and i never had um like (laughs) actually if i was in an altercation i would probably like think that b-boying would get me through it (laughs) and would probably end up like absolutely destroyed you you sure you don't want a b-boy battle (laughs) exactly right so um not having any context, not having any background and actually going to this. Um, and then you taught us some fundamentals of like takedown and mm-hmm. say a little bit of striking, uh, mm-hmm. some submission stuff. But the maybe it's because so when you said, OK, everybody get in a circle, uh-huh. um, you and you go. Yeah. Of course, you gave context to it. You, it's not like we were gonna like you know poke each other's eyes out. Only one of you leaves the of dojo. You. No, it wasn't like that. Um, it's like uh, Mortal Kombat or something. Yeah. Um, and the adrenaline. Uh, oh yeah. Was <laughs> you never told me this? Okay. Was unforgettable. Oh yeah. And because. I'm not actually putting into practice what I learned. I, to a certain extent, yes. But, you know, it, it's kind of like they say, you can read everything you can about, like, what would you do if you were, like, a shark was coming at you, <laughs> yeah. right? And yes, you maybe Googled, like, oh, punch it in the eye. Yes. <laughs> but if it actually happened, you, like, I guarantee you're probably not going to remember, oh, okay, I'm going to punch it in the eye right. at this yeah. speed. Yeah. And so given that moment when it's myself, another person, uh-huh. And, and we're given, you know, two minutes, like I'm just kind of, it becomes like survival mode. Right. You're just sort yeah, of oh, doing I remember that. Yeah, whatever I remember. you, you've maybe seen, you know, on TV, <laughs> every YouTube video every you've YouTube video ever, ever watched seen, to just like, yeah, anything that you've ever dreamed about. Um, and it just becomes pure, like primal. Yeah. And... And it, that, that, I think, excites me on many levels, right? Hmm. I mean, maybe actually now that I think about it, maybe there's this connection to, like, the cipher, the circle, mm. right? There's, yeah. the, there's something about b-boying and that cipher yeah. where it gets raw and, and, and that's where, like, you, 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 uh, you express yourself and yeah. you know, whoever you are, you are sort of the center of attention. Mm-hmm. I think there's one aspect to that. I think there's this other aspect of... Um, being a man mm-hmm. and you know spending a number of years becoming like a keyboard warrior right whether it's you know on your excel sheets or your powerpoints yeah. and as much as i believe that 
you know, men were, are created to like, you know, add value and to, you know, contribute, you know, from a vocational perspective. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to always change through, through generations. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not saying that, you know, man was created to like be primal and to fight each other, but there's, no, but we were created to protect. We were created to protect. We were created to defend. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something about, um, just being in that circumstance Mm-hmm. using your hands um using your intuition yeah um and 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 surviving and uh there's nothing that comes close mm-hmm. in my so far years of experience to right. to whatever I've experienced so far right in BJJ um you know what uh it's interesting that you you brought it up this way because I, w- I would share with you what hit me and what and it's it, well it didn't hit me like a like a new like a revelation but it was a way of thinking so I just kind of realized that to me it's always been play hmm. yeah so when I I mean it's the same concept you get into a ring so you have a set of rules that you try to that you try to stick to <laughs> yeah and um and you do your thing you know like that's that's what I like about grappling right or jujitsu in specifics um you do what's called respecting the tap. So when someone taps, you just let go, right? And yeah. your friends again, and you get to restart. No one loses a life. You just get to go again, you know? Um, and and those are the rules, right? So as long as you stick to those rules, you're actually in a safe place, right? And then you can have fun and you can create. And that's what I really like. Like when, when I, I probably creeps other people out, but whenever I'm grappling, I'm always like, like I'll like giggle and I like do stuff because I'm like, hey, I'm going to try this move and try that move. And it's like, to me, it's like breaking, you know, and as someone that likes to create, right, when I'm when I'm grappling with people, maybe they're trying to take my life, but that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying, I'm going, oh, what if I do this? Can I trick this guy into doing this? You know, like, so to me, it's it's a great deal of play, you know, and at the end of the day, the victor is the one who plays more. Yeah, that's, it's a really good point because <laughs> right? I, I think the, the interesting point around any sort of, you could argue like any any sort of skill, any hobby or any sport mm-hmm. is this um, this aspect where you're trying to you're you're fiddling around with it, you're learning, um, you're not necessarily sure what's going to come out on the other side. Yeah. Um, and it just so happens that whether it be basketball and how do I shoot this or you know how do I defend, yeah. but I, th- I think especially with BJJ because there's a counterpart. Right. Right. So it naturally sort of forces you to have a I don't know if it's a playful mindset or a flexible mindset. Right. Whereby you just, you don't know where, an adaptive mindset. You don't, you just don't know where it's going to go. And I think that's, that's what's also like keeps you on your toes and keeps it super fun. Yeah, I I totally agree as well about the point of, um, you know, men spending hours in the office typing away, you know, and then there is this just raw energy that we have that this like, um, this animal kind of animal like instinct you know and we when we go to the mats you know whether we're striking or grappling like it just gets the for that for that moment it's like hey everyone just take your darkest like uh most what's a primal desires and then we'll throw it down in a circle and i and i think it's great and i actually love that and i always kind of come out of it feeling really good Yes, you know it always feels like a good no okay I've done that and and you know what I what what I believe is that people that do that are more peaceful in real life. I think so, I think so. Like right, um, you're scared 
of that dude who's like always in his office, like twiddling his thumbs and looking <laughs> up into the distance. Like you don't know what he's thinking, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. the man who's actually able to exert himself, sweat it out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I, I think that they they walk with a different sort of composure. Yeah. Because uh, there's different sort of aspects to them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. totally agree, man. Um, it's it's funny that we're we're talking about this because we used to grapple at my place, and then we do sometimes at your place. And one thing that I that I love is like whenever I grapple with Kevin, sometimes his son is around. So it's, your son's what three? Yeah, he's, yeah, about he's two and three quarters. Yeah. Okay, so he's always hanging around, and, and he's like, I, I love this kid, right? Like when he gives me a hug, like I go home <laughs> feeling very very loved. Um, but I, I just think it's so cool because we we actually discussed it. We're like, oh gosh, what if he thinks we're really fighting for real, or we don't like each other? other so you go up to him and you say hey um you say we're um dad and and his friend we're just we're just training you know this is like wrestling we're just training you know and and you actually said like because for me i was like hey is it safe to do it in front of him you know is he gonna get scared you know um but but then you said hey you know i I would i do want to expose um him to this at a young age and allow him to understand that hey look it's just healthy thing and and it's safe and uh we have no bad feelings towards each other yeah, so I, I really like that point that you brought up as well. Like, uh, but you you do think it's safe that you say, watches grappling and at, at, at least so far, yeah. <laughs> you know, until he puts you know another three year old in a show cold um, yeah, then at school. Then, that might be dangerous. Then right? we'll reconsider it. But um, at least generally, as as a principle, mm-hmm. um, I think I think as a man. Mm-hmm. Whether it's doing BJJ or whether it's doing competitive things like basketball, mm-hmm. um, I think it's important that we are involved in some things like that, like healthy mm-hmm. masculinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as such, I think it's really important that I expose or demonstrate right. or sort of walk that out as my son can watch me as well. Yeah, um, I'm not so sure if I'd be doing a fantastic job as a dad if I was just, you know doing the regular and he saw me just you know going to the office and coming you know yeah. coming home you know hours later but he actually sees me physically like involved in certain things and yeah. in a healthy way i think I, that I th- yeah no sorry yeah. sorry I mean, yeah i i think that like i think boys need um uh, examples right. of you know what are things that men do mm-hmm yeah, I think I was watching a Jordan Peterson uh, video where he talks about the the necessity of um, rough play mm. um, for young boys growing up as well. Because in through rough play, you kind of know where your limits are, right? And then your dad is probably the first one who's going to play rough with you and you get to like... <clears throat> I don't know if you call it banter, but you get to like muscle your way with, with another guy, you know, and you, you really get to kind of like gauge and know where your strengths are and know how to handle yourself. I think it's very, very healthy, actually. Um, one of the theories that I stole off you, which I think is is brilliant, is um, you brought up the fact that your wife said that men sharpen other men. And so she encourages encourages you to go hang out with, with other guys, right? So I've, I've always loved this point, you know, like um, men sharpening other men. I, I think it's great, you know, and I think that that is very much something that... Um, that I see whenever we hang out and, you know, people do stuff like that. Um, I wanted to go on a tangent that way. But before that, there was one thing that I, I really think that um, the whole podcast would not be able to um, be complete without is to share what you do on your podcast as well. I wanted to, like, just do a rough chuck of that in there. Um, but you've got your own podcast, which is uh, where you talk about um, Christianity. Yes. That's the that's the main. Yes. 
Yes. Right, where you interview like your wife's, uh, your father-in-law, who's a pastor as well, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I, one thing that I think is is very, uh, one of the many things that you do, which I think is very cool, is you actually created like a, I don't know if I can talk about it, but a ministry mm-hmm. at, your, at your workplace, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have believers come together. And um, yeah, I think that that's really, really cool. Can you share a little bit more about your perhaps podcast, your podcast, or like, you know, yeah, sure. Um, I, I, I think like before getting into the podcast or, or what we've been uh, privileged to, to, to do uh, at the office mm. is um, sort of an inherent perhaps perspective or belief that I have uh, when it comes to faith or when it comes to Christianity mm-hmm. um, is this concept that I would like to call like uh, bad sushi right wow okay so you got me there let's go um if if you tried sushi and it was terrible right um you probably wouldn't try it again yes right or rather if it was rotten you definitely would not want to go back again Mm -hmm. um but rather if you tried sushi and let's say it was like this amazing like maguro okay. or uh, toro, right? And you were just were to the moon and back about it. Uh-huh. Then you would obviously think that like sushi was amazing. I follow you so far. Yes, and I think that, fortunately or unfortunately, depending upon people's journeys or experiences or demonstrations of the faith, um, some people have been given the privilege of tasting good sushi. <laughs> Right. Or good faith. Right. Or some have had the unfortunate uh, misprivilege of uh, tasting uh, a bad version of it. Okay. Um, and I think that everybody deserves to have an opportunity to, to uh, uh, you know, God says, you know, uh, taste and see that I'm good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I didn't grow up necessarily uh, it wasn't a bad experience but mm-hmm. it wasn't like a great experience yeah um and i had to like i f- needed to figure my way out way through it like you know is this real okay is this something that people just believe in for the sake of it because it's a crutch right um i was even you know coming at it like debating against it right for for many years <laughs> likewise okay um and I think through other Christian brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. when I finally got to see how they lived their lives, that this wasn't just something written in a book, that this wasn't just something that they did on a Sunday, mm. but they were um, highly relevant, intelligent, if not inspirational uh, men and women of God. Right. Or I was like, wow, like... If only I had seen this yeah. before, um, you know, how much, not quicker uh, might my journey have, but I could have, you know, gotten uh, completely in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think with that, whether it's, uh, so the podcast that, uh, that, that I have is, mm-hmm. is really about, um, um, it's called Life Plus. Okay, and what that's meant to say is that perhaps yes, we're we're living uh, a life that we are now, but what if that could be seen differently? Huh. Um, I like it. You I know, have heard, I have heard the episodes by the way, but okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah, Life Plus, I like it. And I wasn't um, actually aware it was called Life Plus, but okay. Yeah, maybe huh. we need to do some more marketing. Um, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. 
Um, and you know, what if there was a a a life of more abundance mm. that we mm-hmm. didn't know? Right. Um, you know, what if? Uh, what could be? Um, yeah. and whether it's the podcast or whether it's uh, the privilege of. Um, you know, sharing the gospel and, and having fellowship in the marketplace, uh, mm-hmm. that's also a place where um, we believe that we can have not only community, but, you know, I believe that we're called to not just work, you know, this nine to five job physically, but mm-hmm. we're oftentimes spending more time with our colleagues than we, we are with our own loved ones. Right. Right. right? And so, um then therefore shouldn't that be a place where we can actually um develop great mm. relationships mm. and yeah um while the business is important but yes. you know we actually have lives as well and there's there's a much bigger pe- much bigger picture to people's lives than just the work that they do right right um and uh, so how do we use that not use that but how might that be a, a platform an opportunity for for people to gather and like talk about life talk about um, not how everything is always perfect, but there are challenges and there are struggles. And, right. you know, how do we, how do we work through those things? Um, how do we sharpen uh, yeah. one another? Um, how do we reach people who are going through a rough time? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the world, uh, especially uh, the offices and, you know, the professional world is starving Mm. of relationships it's starving for like people who would actually be like hey how are you doing yeah you know it's it's almost like it's the two how's it going right the first is like hey how's it going man right and they're like hey yeah yeah i'm good i'm good and you're like how's it going man you're like oh no no not so good and you know Ah, this happened and that happens and and i think like uh, the the bar is actually unfortunately or fortunately very low because there aren't that many people mm. um, in our generation because everybody's so busy right. doing everything that they're doing that yeah. uh, they often um, don't give themselves the opportunity to stop and to say, actually, hey, what's mm. up? Like, how are things? Yeah. Um, do, you, do, you yeah. Think it's, do you think it's harder um, in this generation or this current climate they're in? Do you think it's harder to have friends? Um. What I, mm, I think in some ways, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, well, I, I talk about this a lot. Um, I think in this digital age, right, we talk about followers. Oh, I got 10 followers on Instagram. I got 600 followers on Instagram or whatever it may be, right? But how many friends do you really have? You know, I don't know if I spoke about this with you, but as, as men get older as well, uh, men find it even harder to find friends, right? And find community. And um, I, maybe it was with you that I spoke about this, about like men bonding over like things, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, o- yeah. Over things like, you know, wh- whatever it may be, like grappling and all that. But um, yeah, no, do you think it's it's tougher? Yeah, no, we, we exactly did talk about that, whereby I think there's a statistic whereby if you are beyond the age of 30 as a male, mm-hmm. um, a majority of the population like has very few friends to call by their name. Like if mm. um, you're in trouble, if you're in an emergency uh, at two in the morning, like who would you call? And the majority right. of people would not have a number to call. Mm. Um, and I think um, there's probably multiple factors yeah. to to the challenging environment where, you know, people, it's difficult to make friends. I think, I think one is, um, perhaps this idea of like independence. Like, I, I think that, uh, independence in what way? 
I, I think that you know societies have become you know less uh, dependent upon each other or less mm, collective. Okay, okay, I got you. And I so you. you kind of you go off and live your own life, um, and you become very kind of self sufficient. Versus kind of mm. depending upon the community uh, the, from which you come from, mm. I think uh, definitely in Western cultures, like right. that's very big. Like once once you move off to the suburbs, like you just don't see people huh. ever. Um, I think so. That's one thing that's happening. I think two um, people are just busier. Yeah, right. They're like juggling so many different things at a time. Mm-hmm. Family work, like this whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses. Right. I don't think that that was as big in the previous generation as it is no, now. It's it's at its worst now, man. The grass is green on all of these things, you know. Yeah, it's so true. Exactly. So true, man. Um. Uh, I I just wanted to say though, um, before we went into this, what you're talking about, um, about sushi is such a great analogy because I I always think of think of it as um you as a christian are the only bible that a non-christian will ever read yes right so how you live your life and all that right um yes. but but moving I, I will use the sushi analogy as well um in the future and i also like what you talked about the how's it going right mm. the second how's it going is a real one where how's it going is a generic answer of yeah yeah good good man what about you uh singaporean answers are ah, busy you ah yeah busy and then it's over yeah. you know but to really say no but really how how are you you know i think i think that really matters and i think it's it's very very healthy and i i wish there was more of that as well right yeah 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 um just like care but also uh before we move to the next points like i think i think vulnerability mm, is right is a big important thing and possibly another reason why you know making friendships is harder because i think everybody is putting on this persona or this um facade like they've got everything all together everything is is uh is is moving and they're they're doing all right yeah um whether it be social media or just like keeping up with the joneses you have to almost like act as if like you're you're good yeah and vulnerability flies in the face of that right but the reality is like at face value people look like they've got it all together but you know deep down they don't like just that's that's what life is all about right and so an act of vulnerability, an act of saying, hey, like actually uh, for me this weekend, like it was pretty rough because of X, Y, Z. I think that opens up a lot um, relationally with others as we ask them, how are you? Right. Because they realize once we let down our walls, then they also can as well. Right. Yeah. Um, so I often think about it this way. I think one of the saddest things about the world right now is that people cannot differentiate, or rather have already differentiated and made a choice between avatar and self, right? So my mm. theory is this. You have yourself, that's your being, right? And then you have your avatar, who you are online. People suffer in their daily lives and eat not as good food so that they can save money to buy outfits to then pose in a damn photo and post it on Instagram. Yeah. So it's like, damn man, who's more important? The you online, your avatar? Yeah. Or or yourself. You know, let's say my whatever social media handle is at Eden Love Sushi, right? Is am I putting more glory and focus into Eden Love Sushi, that that handle or that tag, or am I putting more focus on myself? You know, I, I I think people have got it many people have got this all wrong. You know, I think there's there's been so much emphasis put in like like 
shoving everything under the table and just having this very pretty kind of desktop so you can show everyone, hey, my life is great, you know, and all that. But to really get vulnerable with someone, I think is not easy. And I think it's a skill that people are losing, yeah. you know, just to say, just to say, hey, I, I need help, you know. And I think, and that's one of the reasons why I have this podcast as well, because I think it's even harder for men to ask for help, right? So, yeah, yeah man. Um, that's, that's why we don't live as long. <laughs> that, that probably is why man um anyway <laughs> uh time wise um uh, we've been running for quite a while um i'd love to have you on again because i feel like we've only just started you know we haven't even talked about your kimuras that you did wrongly and submitted <laughs> yourself on um <laughs> and um yeah so many good points man i'd love to, to to talk about the bible with you as well i think that's something that i learn a lot from a lot from a lot from you about and um i'd love to just sit down and chat about that one day as well so i hope i can steal you again from angel and isay for a little while totally and um just hang out again bro but um thanks for doing all this and chatting um women products and nipples with me man that was super fun <laughs> we'll have to do it again cheers man all right thanks for your time brother have all a right. good one bye-bye bye, -bye. Mm -hmm.